Hello, brethren. Brother Bob here again. The headline of this podcast is Do the Do's, but don't do the do nots. Now, the do's and the do nots that I'm speaking about in this podcast are the ones from the scriptures, especially those do's and do nots that are found in the church epistles. The good Lord has established a simple strategy for believers. Do as he says, and God says, I will keep my promises to you. Exodus 19.5. Now then, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my own possession among all the peoples of the world, for all the earth is mine. And yet most believers just do not get it, or worse yet, are just not interested in doing as the Lord commands. That's been the main problem that the Lord has had with his people right from the get-go, starting with Adam and Eve, through the believers of the time of Moses, and through the believers of judges and kings, and even through the prophets, right through to the church age. Isaiah 48, 18, If only my people had paid attention to my commandments, then their well-being would be like a great river, and their righteousness like the waves of the sea. If only, if only, if only. Philippians 2.19-21 says, But I hope in the Lord Yeshua to send Timothy to you shortly, so that I can be encouraged when I learn of your condition. For I have no one else of kindred spirit who is genuinely concerned for your well-being. For all other believers seek after their own interests and not those of Christ. Isn't it a bad report from Brother Paul about the spiritual state of the church and even in his day? He says, I have no one else of kindred spirit like Timothy who will be genuinely concerned for the welfare of the brethren. Sadly, I believe that there are going to be a lot of believers from the church age who are also going to be saying, if only I had throughout their eternity. Now, for reasons that the good Lord himself only knows, a lot of God's children refuse to do many of the do's and the do-nots of the scriptures. I believe that the main reason that most believers do not do the do's and do the do-nots of the scriptures is that because they are ignorant of sound doctrine. God knows his church is loaded with compromised, cowardly, or biblically ignorant pastors. And I believe another reason why God's people refuse to do as the Lord commands is because they have lost their fear of the Lord. The scriptures tell us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. You see, brethren, if the church knew about the very serious consequences of disobeying their Heavenly Father, they would spend much more time learning and doing those things which please Him. All believers will do some of the do's and stay away from some of the do-nots. However, God is not interested in His children giving Him partial obedience. You see, on Judgment Day, unless you're a new believer, if you think that you're going to impress the Lord because you obeyed 25% or 50% or even 75% of his word, you're going to be wrong. Especially if there were parts of God's word that you knew and yet still avoided doing. Now again, I'm not talking about keeping or obeying his word and commandments perfectly. I am simply saying that many in the church do not even desire to do the do's and to not do the do-nots of the scriptures. Now, it's sad that I need to share this next thought, but knowing Christians, I'm going to have to do it. I know that I need to say that the biblical words like let or should not or must not or choose to or ignore, etc., 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 also apply a do or do not commandment. Here's an example. Colossians 2.18. 
Let no one keep defrauding you of your prize. That let no one is a command. It means do not let anyone keep defrauding you of your prize. 1 Corinthians 12, 27. If anyone speaks in a tongue, it should be by. So that it should be by means it's a command. It must be by. And it says if there's no interpreter, it says they must keep silent. He must is the same as do or do not. Okay, it's a command. Must means that they must, not that they should or could or might. Colossians 4, 5 through 6, conduct yourselves with wisdom towards outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. That's a command. Also, it says, let your speech always be with grace, which is also a command. See, those are verses in the scriptures that don't come right out and say do or do not. But it's clearly implied what the Lord wants you to do. And brethren, there are hundreds of more Bible verses that do not use the literal words do or do not, which clearly imply to do or to not do something in those verses is the commandment. Bible verses that are clearly teaching or applying that a believer needs to do or not do something are called imperatives. An imperative is a command or an order. So a biblical commandment is an order or command from God himself. Brethren, all of God's commandments for the church age are imperatives. They are not suggestions. They are not wishes. And God's children do not have the righteous option to ignore them. For whatever reasons, for many reasons that are silly, the church for the most part has conveniently forgotten to do those things which please their first love, which should be doing those things that their first love desires them to do or not to do. Now, of course, the believer's first love should be the Lord, God their Father, God their Savior, and God the Holy Spirit. The problem is that the Bible tells us time after time that we cannot love on God if we are not being obedient to God's word. Christ told his followers, Do not just tell me that you love me. Show me you love me by doing what I say. Now, it is sad that I have to share this next thought, but again, knowing how most believers think in the church age, I need to share this. Brethren, when Christ told his followers they needed to keep his word, if they desired to show him that they really loved him, Christ did not mean only those words that he literally spoke while he was involved in his ministry. Brethren, Christ's words are all of the scriptures. Christ was God. Christ has the authority of God. Christ was the word of God. Christ was speaking as God even when he was in a human form. Brethren, this human God-person Christ, before he became the human God-person Christ, was the same God who spoke to people like Noah and Abraham, Moses, and Daniel in the Old Testament. So when Christ told his followers to keep his commandments, he meant all those commandments from the Old Testament up to Christ's day, right into the church age that apply for the church So for the church age, that means learning and obeying all those commandments that are applicable for the born-again believers, which could include commandments from both the Old and New Testaments. All those beautiful words that Christ shared in Matthew chapters 5 through 7 are just as applicable for the church age as they were for the followers of Christ's day. Yes, there were commandments that Christ shared with his followers during his earthly ministry time that would not be applicable for the church age. I'm just going to give you one example. Matthew chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. Large crowds followed Christ as he came down to the mountainside. Suddenly a man with leprosy approached him and knelt before him. He said, Lord, the man said, if you are willing, can you heal me and make me clean? 
Christ reached out and touched him. I am willing. Be healed. And instantly the leprosy disappeared from the man. Then Christ told the healed leper, Don't tell anyone about this. Instead, go to the priest and let him examine you. Take along the offering required in the law of Moses for those who have been healed of leprosy. This will be a public testimony that you have been cleansed. People in the church age no longer are required to go to some Jewish temple to offer a sacrifice for a birth or a healing or for anything for that matter. We must be doing the do's and not doing the do-nots that are applicable for the church age. Brethren, you need to understand that no matter how sweet-sounding your worship songs are and no matter how many hours you spend praying in a tongue and no matter how much you give for the Christian cause and no matter how good your heart feels about where you are at with Christ, if you are not obeying God's commandments, all those commandments which are for the church age, you are not loving on the Lord the way he desires to be loved on. Remember what Christ said. We must worship the Father in spirit and truth. And by the meaning of truth, I mean all those commandments that are biblically correct for the church age. Seems like a lot of times believers in the church age want to get on these rabbit trails and they want to get involved with doctrinal things that aren't for the church age. Christ said in chapter John chapter 14, verse 15, If you love me, then you will keep my commandments. John 14, 21, Those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. And because they love me, my Father will love them. Pretty simple stuff, people. John 14, 24, He who does not love me does not keep my words. Now this command from Christ to keep his commandments would also apply for any future new commandments that were yet to come out. Like the new commandments that showed up in the church epistles, written many years after Christ had come and gone. Here are some examples of those church commandments. Romans chapter 6, verse 12. Therefore, do not, do not, there's a word, do not, let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts. 2 Corinthians six fourteen. Do not, do not be bound together with unbelievers for what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Ephesians 4, verse 26. Be angry, and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your anger. Brethren, there are lots and lots and lots of these do and do not church commandments in the New Testament epistles. And these are the instructions for the church. And once again, the Lord expects us to do those. And once again, if we really want to show the Lord how much we love him, we will keep his commandments. So let's make this really simple. Keeping his commandments shows that we love him. So what does that mean when we do not keep, i.e. obey his commandments? It means that we really do not love him as much as we think we love him. I need to interject. Sadly, many in the church have taken upon themselves to try to show their love for the Savior in ways he never asked to be loved. Remember, Keep his commandments. That means don't keep those things that you wish were commandments. Keep those things that are written down in the word as commandments. You see, our Savior never asked to show him that we loved him by doing things like tithing. Giving 10% of our money to churches is not a New Testament church commandment. Or abstaining from alcohol. Not biblical. Not a New Testament commandment does not tell us to abstain from alcohol or by speaking to him or the church in a babbling tongue, or by healing people, 
or by getting a second Holy Spirit baptism or by interpreting dreams or by seeking after signs or wonders. These are all things that are not commandments from the Lord. Brethren, where does the Bible command believers to start up a ministry of healing? Now, it's not wrong to pray for healing. Go to your, It says if you're somebody needs he- healing, go to the elders. Where does the New Testament command believers to seek after signs and wonders? In fact, Christ said it's an evil, wicked generation that seeks after signs and wonders. Remember, we're commanded to worship in spirit and truth. Where does the Bible command God's people to abstain from any or all alcohol? There were more than 20 different temple offerings to the Lord which involved the use of alcohol, real alcohol, sometimes hard alcohol, and yet many in the church today have decided that they are smarter than God, so they have given themselves the authority to rewrite God's word so that it fits what they believe the Bible should teach about alcohol. Christ said, if you ignore the least of my commandments and teach others to do the same, you will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Brethren, be careful what you're trying to pass off as a word from the Lord or the word from scriptures. Sadly, many in the church have allowed themselves to be misled from keeping God's commandments accurately or correctly by believing they can simply pick and choose the stuff out of the scriptures they like and the stuff that they don't like, they just ignore. Brethren, adhering to all that churchy, feely good stuff that is not applicable for the church age is a sin. If you are teaching it as a biblical truth, doing those kinds of churchy religious things for our Savior, no matter how pious and sincere they sound, is kind of like buying chocolate treats for your wife when you know she would much more rather have perfume or jewelry. One reason that this churchy, pious-sounding religious gibberish happens is that a lot of believers in the church pick and choose stuff out of the Gospels and or out of the book of Acts stuff which no longer is applicable for the church age, and they build entire church denominations around it. Brethren, I've been sharing this for 40 years. The Lord never, ever intended any church doctrines to come out of the book of the Acts of the Apostles. That was the original title for the book of Acts. The book of the Acts of the Apostles. The book of the Acts of the Apostles is a historical book, and yet many in the church use it as a church doctrinal book. Now, I'm going to give you a quick example of what I mean. I did an entire podcast on this. Go back and check it over when you get a chance. There are thousands in the church who incorrectly interpret the context and purpose of what is going on in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. And as a result, many in the church are trying hard to apply biblical stuff in the church that God never intended for the church age. Again, I did an entire podcast exposing the heirs of believing that Acts chapter 2 is for the church age. And because many believers misinterpret what is going on in Acts chapter 2 and who it is going on with, they end up believing a lie. And worse yet, many believers spend their entire Christian lives striving to accomplish something that the Lord never wanted his church to strive for. Some kind of a mystical, supernatural ringing and banging in the wind and the lightning and the and the sound of thunder and the Holy Spirit came down and all. It was a one-time event. And that event was for his apostles, not for the church. Please go back and listen to my podcast. If you are a believer trying to live out what happened in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost, you need to get it into your head that the Lord never intended for the church to strive after something that he only intended for his apostles. 
However, even if every believer in Jerusalem had attended what was going on in Acts chapter 2, which they did not, that still does not mean that what happened in Acts chapter 2 was intended for the church age. What happened in Acts chapter 2 was unique. There wasn't even a body of Christ or this thing called the church around yet. Fact of the matter is even the apostles did not, didn't even know on that day of Pentecost that they, they would be the initial leaders of this new thing called the church or the body of Christ or the assembly of believers. Now I get it. In the literal sense, the church is people, not a building. But even so, that new group of Yeshua believers in Jerusalem did not consider themselves a called out body of Christ group of believers who were in Doha with the Holy Spirit. These new Jewish believers never had a clue that they were going to be meeting in church buildings or home buildings, meeting together with Gentiles to worship their God together as one people. So during this historical book of the Acts of the Apostles, none of the guidelines and the rules for how the church, how God wanted the church to run, had even been established. There were some amazing transitional things going on in that book of Acts. In the book of Acts, Jewish believers were the first ones to receive the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, followed years later by Gentile believers. Most Bible scholars believe that the time from the beginning of the book of Acts until the end of the book was about 40 years. So that means it's a transition between how the Lord did things in the Old Testament and how he was going to do things in the new church age was about 40 years. So the book of the Acts of the Apostles was a historical book which explained the history of in a condensed form. I'm going to go back to my topic here about do the do's, but don't do the do-nots. Now, before I get started, though, I need to silence and rebuke those ignorant or deceived Bible teachers who teach that believers cannot do anything in and of themselves that is pleasing to the Lord. How ludicrous is that idea? Brethren, there are over 50 Bible verses that clearly show and or clearly imply that our main responsibility as children of God is to do those things which please the Lord. Do you realize how spiritually blind someone has to be to think or to even teach that it is wrong or sinful for God's people to try to do those things which please their Heavenly Father? Only a spiritual deceiver or a spiritual dimwit would even try to teach such foolishness. And yet many in the church push this lunacy on the sheep. Brethren, Every single place in the scriptures where believers are told to not do something or to do something, this is a commandment from the Lord. And doing what the Lord commands us to do pleases Him. And it pleases Him because He enjoys seeing us choosing to do those things that please Him. Not being forced to do it, not to have somebody else do it for us, but it pleases his heart when he sees his children choosing to do those things which please him. In the Old Testament scriptures, the Lord told his children, if you do as I say, life will be good. Now, a couple things about that. Receiving a good life for being an obedient child of God needs to be qualified. So, again, let me, especially when it comes to the New Testament church believers. In the Old Testament, God literally made earthly life good for his obedient children. More kids, big farms, lots of animals, good harvest. And he made life miserable for his disobedient children. In the New Testament, I believe that that good life that the Lord promises his faithful children will be a great life in the heavenly kingdom in the future. Over the years, thousands upon thousands of faithful 
New Testament church believers did not live the good earthly life as their Old Testament brethren did. Over the years, many in the church were and are punished, tortured, and murdered for their faith. And yet the Lord promises them, if they're faithful, that they will spend eternity in the joy of the Lord, and they will be living a good life. And that joy and peace life is not going to happen until they die and step into paradise. I just wanted to qualify that. Too many people try this prosperity gospel that if you're a believer or serving the Lord and walking with the Lord, life is just going to be smooth. That's not what the scriptures teach. Go back on some of my podcasts. In fact, the scriptures teach just the opposite. If you're living for Christ, you're going to suffer one way or another. So back to doing the do's and not doing the do-nots. Sadly, it just doesn't seem that many in the church see the importance of doing what God commands in his word. It seems that many in the church believe that the Lord is okay or even pleased with them whenever they do whatever seems right in their own eyes, just so long as they're sounding pious and holy. I'll be honest. I believe that a lot of professing Bible believers in a church today deem much of God's word, including the church epistles, to be too old-fashioned or outdated for today's chic, modernized church age. I've been a believer for over 40 years, and I can't tell you the last time I heard a pastor teach a message on modesty from the pulpit. And the good Lord knows that most pastors are afraid to teach a correct biblical message on a woman's role in a church. And I can't tell you the last time I heard a pastor have the spiritual stones to tell his sheep to get their children out of today's anti-God, hedonistic, socialistic government school system. Here's a warning for you cowardly pastors. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and were thrown into the sea than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. Now, I'm not surprised or taken back by the downward spiral direction that the church is taking. Christ himself warned about the church being both spiritually dead and spiritually deceived in the end times. I've shared this many times on my podcast. Just take your time, read through Matthew 24, read through Mark 13. It's really clear. The end times, the end time church is going to be a mess. The concept that the church is going to be a powerful, God-honoring force in the end times, a belief that a lot of signs and wonders living under feelings Pentecostally church believers believe in is simply not biblical. Anyways, let me take you back to what happened to the first believer who decided it was okay to disobey the Lord's commandments. We're going to go all the way back to Adam. I'm going to start by picking on Adam. Genesis chapter 2, verse 15 through 17, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden and told him to cultivate it and to keep it. There's a couple do's there. Adam, cultivate it, keep it, take care of it. Then the Lord commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may freely eat, but from the one tree of knowledge and good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat from it, you shall die. Adam had one simple do not to obey, and he blew it. Adam, stay away from one snake and tree, and all generations get to spend your eternity living in a perfect environment, along with their perfect wives and their perfect kids, with no mosquitoes or ticks or sickness or hunger, etc. etc. Now, I do not believe that either Adam or Eve realized the generational sin curse that they would be passing down for thousands of years. Brethren, Adam and Eve were told plainly that if they chose to eat the fruit of that one specific tree, they would die. So what did these numbskulls choose to do? They chose death over paradise. I can't wrap my head around Adam's stupidity, especially from a person without a sin nature. It must have been that woman. Ah, no, just kidding. You're just kidding. 
This is all on Adam. He was the head of the family. I guess what happened to Adam is proof that the threat of getting hanged or getting sent to the electric chair for committing certain crimes does not deter criminals, because it didn't deter Adam. By the way, the initial purpose for the death penalty for committing certain crimes was not to deter crime or to punish an evildoer, but to simply eliminate that criminal element from society so that they could not hurt anyone else ever again. Here's another scenario. Noah preaches for 120 years. Can you imagine it? 120 years. Now, I know that the Bible does not come right out and tell us what Noah preached, but I feel pretty confident to say that he tried his best to get as many souls as he could in that ark. And yet, all those fools who drowned chose not to do the do's, but instead did the do-nots. Another scenario is the people that God rescued out of Egypt. So God's people are being severely persecuted under the authority of the Egyptian pharaoh. God hears their cries and sends a rescuer, Moses, to miraculously deliver them from their terrible persecution. And yet, these rescued Jews don't get very far, and they start grumbling and whining and complaining. In fact, the Lord was so upset with these whiny, grumbly, disobedient fools that he wanted to destroy them all. He told Moses, get away, stand on the side, I'm going to wipe them out. And because the Lord was so angry with these people, he made them wander around in the desert aimlessly for 40 years so that he could kill off all the adults and start with the new generation. If these whiny, grumbling fools would just have chose to do the do's and not do the do-nots, life would have been much better for them. Brethren, when it comes to the do's and the do-nots of scriptures, we can't all be right. Brethren, the church is in a spiritual mess. All you have to do is do a simple Google search and look up what various churches believe is truth. Look up some of the crazy doctrines. Just look into some of the goofy stuff that many churches are trying to pass off as biblical truth. If you know your scriptures, it's easy to see. It's just fairy tale land with a lot of these churches. Now, I'm not talking about the differences in, in denominational teachings. Brethren, learning and knowing the do's and do nots of the scriptures is not really that hard to learn. 2 Timothy 2.15, be diligent. That means there's an effort involved. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman or workwoman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of God. Notice who's held to count here. Is the Holy Spirit rebuked or being yelled at? Is the Holy Spirit being told, kick it up a notch, get some of these believers to get smarter in the Lord? No, the responsibility of knowing God's word is put on the believer. And those who don't handle it accurately are even going to be ashamed, it says. Okay, please listen to me carefully. If the Holy Spirit is the sole provider and revealer of God's truth to the church, why is there such little unity in the church today? Is he not powerful enough to unite us? Come on now, this is simple logic. Either the Holy Spirit is the sole revealer and teacher and guider and powerhouse of God's word, or he's not. I personally do not believe that he is, at least not in the church age. Yes, there was a time before we had the completed New Testament scriptures when the Holy Spirit was the sole revealer of God's new church truths. A lot of the information that the apostles got was brand new stuff. The writers of the New Testament church epistles were given some amazing new inspired revelations. But the same cannot be said about the Old Testament scriptures. They were expected to learn it, to know it, to study it. 2 Timothy 3, 14 through 15. But you, Timothy, continue in the things you have learned and became convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you wisdom. 
which leads to salvation through faith in Christ. However, I believe that the New Testament church epistles clearly put the sole responsibility of learning God's word on the believer. We're commanded to walk by faith and not by sight. Now, I'm not saying the Holy Spirit's not there. If you're a new believer, obviously, he's going to share some stuff. He might even give you some Rima words before you even know your scriptures. And as you're growing in the Lord, you get into the word, the Holy Spirit's going to be there and put some things together for you sometimes. But you need to be the one studying it. You need to be the one in it. You need to be the one who has a desire to learn it before the Holy Spirit's going to be helping you. Brethren, you will not find one single spot in the church epistles where the Holy Spirit is rebuked for doing a lousy job. Every place in the church epistles, the believers are either given an attaboy for doing a good job or they're rebuked for doing a lousy job. The onus is always put on the believer, never on the Holy Spirit. Brethren, there's not one spot in the church epistles where believers are told to wait on the Holy Spirit's leading for learning. That's what the problem with the church is. Everybody's sitting around waiting for a, a whisper of a word in the middle of the night. Uh, a lot of believers waiting for this dream that they're going to get. Like the Holy Spirit's going to whisper through a dream. He's gonna If he's going to whisper in your brain in the middle of the night, he's going to say, read your Bible. Sadly, I believe that many believers do not know that there are profound biblical truth differences between the denominational doctrines of many churches and the doctrinal truths of God's word. Now, I'm aware that there are phony and fake Christian churches out there in the world. This podcast is not directed at churches that are fake or phony. This is for God's people. This is for people who claim to be born-again believers. As with all my podcasts, what I share is directed at those Christian churches who openly profess and eternal salvation that came through a result of believing in the gospel of Christ. And Christ alone, with no sacraments attached or no good works attached, just faith in what Christ did for you at Calvary. Sadly, many churches sincerely believe that they have the handle on truth. But the problem is, many of their truths contradict scriptures, and they contradict each other. One group says, you must believe this teaching. Another group says, blah, 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 blah. And another church says, the opposite of blah, 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 blah. And they say this, and we say that, and we get like 20 different opinions for one Bible verse. No wonder the sheep are so confused. Listen to me carefully. Many of you do not want to give up what you believe because you like what you believe, even if it is not biblical. That was the same problem the believers in the Old Testament had all the time. They liked their idols. They liked their stuff. They just didn't want to do what God said. And sadly, many believers are stubbornly arrogant about what they believe because what they believe makes them feel warm and fuzzy. Or worse yet, what they believe is based on their feelings, what they think the Bible says, and not what it actually says. However, if you are not doing the do's and instead doing the do-nots, you will not hear, well done, good and faithful servant at the judgment seat of Christ. Christ told us about some believers who thought they were doing the do's and instead they were doing the do-nots, and they got rebuked. Just read through Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 through 22. Now, the Lord did not rebuke these people in these verses because they were not believers or they were not doing stuff. I believe he was rebuking these believers because they had done the do-nots, believing that the Lord would be more pleased with their motives rather than their obedience. Remember, to obey is better than sacrifice. Christ, again, asked the question, why do you call me Lord? And then do the do-nots. Brethren, the Lord is never pleased when we disobey his word and do what seems right in our own eyes. Never. In closing, let me ask you some logical questions. 
If the Lord wanted some of his people to have the supernatural ability to heal people, as Peter and Paul did for a while, they did it for a while, don't you think that we would see men and women of God doing that throughout the church, throughout the world? There'd be thousands of YouTube videos. If that was what the Lord wanted for the church, he wouldn't be able to stop it. And yet it's not out there. We don't see that. And many believers are still striving to do the do-nots and are getting caught up in that. If the Lord wanted some of his people to have the supernatural ability to prophesy future events, as some did before the church was established, don't you think we would have heard of at least one of these amazing prophetic events being broadcast out there in the church once in a while? Maybe we'd hear something about COVID or we would hear something about whatever. I mean, a prophetic word. We should be hearing some amazing stuff. I mean, not one single so-called professing prophet of the Lord in the church age can give me any times and dates, like really be specific. And yet many in the church are chasing after the do-nots of seeking after signs and wonders. Instead of walking by faith, in accordance with God's written word as the church is commanded. If the Lord wants some of his people to supernaturally cast out demons, as some did in Christ's day and, and in the early book of Acts, don't you think that we would see thousands of YouTube videos of that happening out there? I mean, I heard Africa's full of thousands of witch doctors that are demon-possessed. Wouldn't that be amazing? I don't see a single thing going on. Now listen to me. In the church age, I believe that learning... And knowing God's word very seldom comes from what the Holy Spirit teaches us. He gave gifted men in the church to teach the sheep. I know a lot of you just thought to yourselves, Brother Bob is speaking a heresy. Now I know that in spots in the New Testament scriptures and the Gospels, where Christ did tell believers that the Holy Spirit would guide them in all truth and that he would give them words that they needed to share at the right time, which I agree with. Please keep in mind that a lot of the supernatural Holy Spirit stuff that happened in the New Testament happened before we had the completed written word. The only thing that I read in the church epistles that the Holy Spirit does for God's people relative to their spiritual life is to help them pray. Romans 8.26, he helps us in our weaknesses when we pray. I see nothing in the church epistles where the Holy Spirit will enlighten, guide, teach, direct, sway, overpower, speak for, educate, or share dreams with you in the middle of the night. Now, I'm not saying that the Holy Spirit is not working behind the scenes, doing some amazing things with or for believers. But those things that he does, he does on his own initiative and for his own purpose. In fact, I personally believe that even the gifts of the Holy Spirit that existed before God's written word was complete have ended. Everything we need to know about God and what God wants us to do is in his word. Now, again, the Holy Spirit is going to be there to help you see some of the deeper things of his word. And if you're a new believer, he's going to take you along on a path and help you teach stuff. But again, keep in mind, there are supposed to be gifted teachers and evangelists in the church teaching the sheep. There'd be no need for this gifted teachers if Holy Spirit's doing all the work. Now, just think this through logically. If the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit alone is responsible for teaching, enlightening, and speaking for believers... Why, oh, why, oh, why did the Lord even bother to give the New Testament church believers all those destructions in the church epistles? Why do that? He could have just planted it in a brain cell. Why would Christ bother to teach the Beatitudes to his followers, knowing that the Holy Spirit was going to teach this stuff to the sheep anyways? Why did Christ teach about church discipline if that was the Holy Spirit's job? Why would Christ bother warning his followers about the end time stuff 
which included lots of warnings about end-time false teachers and false prophets, if the Holy Spirit was going to personally do that with each and every born-again believer in the body of Christ once the church was established. Brethren, why would the Lord give the Apostle Paul all that new church revelation, which included lots and lots of instructions for the do's and do-nots for the church age, when the Holy Spirit should have been the one doing that? Brethren, why would we even need a Bible? If the Holy Spirit supernaturally teaches all of God's people, we don't need a book. He can just put it in our brain cells. There's a reason why he gave us that written word. He expects us to study it, to learn it, and obey it. The more I study God's word, the more I see that the Lord has put a vast majority of the believer's spiritual walk responsibility on the believer and not on the Holy Spirit. Here's another question. Just when does the Holy Spirit fill our minds with the truth of God's word? In the middle of the night? While you're praying? Now, I'm not saying this to be a wise ass, but do we just touch our Bibles when we want new revelation? Do you really think we have to go into some kind of tongue-babbling mode before the Holy Spirit will teach or enlighten us? Now, again, I'm not denying that Christ did share that there was going to be some amazing Holy Spirit events going on, but that was before the new revelations were given to the apostles about this new thing called the church. Brethren, take your time and just read through the first 15 chapters in the book of Acts. You'll see the mess that was going on. I mean, there was people who didn't even know Christ died out doing ministry work and had to be told that there was people that were believing in the John the Baptist's repentance baptism as they were involved in ministry work and they didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. There was a lot of strange things going on and men and women of God had to come along and to correct these people. The Holy Spirit didn't correct them. It was faithful men and women of God who came along and informed these sincere but incorrect people, what you're believing isn't right anymore. Things have changed. God put their responsibility to correct these people on other people. It's our job to teach the truth. I mean, it's amazing. Even that eunuch out in the desert who was trying to figure it out, the Lord had to send a person to them to explain the Word of God. Holy Spirit could have did that, but God uses people now. That's how he gets his truth out. He uses people. He uses his people to read and study the Word, and we're the messengers of truth. We're the light now in a dark world. problem is we can't be a light if we don't know our scriptures. Why is it that the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts was constantly reasoning and trying to persuade lost people about Christ so that they could become believers if it's always the Holy Spirit's job to lead people to Christ, to enlighten people. Again, I believe God has put the responsibility on his people in this church age to know his word, and we're the messengers of truth now. Well, at least we're supposed to be. Brethren, from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible, read about God telling his people, do this and be blessed, and don't do that. Or be punished. Isaiah chapter 1 verse 18 through 20. It says, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are as scarlet, they will be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they will be like wool. If you consent and obey, then you will eat the best of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, then you will be devoured by the sword. Truly the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Your friend in Christ, Brother Bob. Again, stay in the Word, saints. The only way you're going to know a truth from a lie is by knowing them scriptures. Again, reach me at brobob4him at gmail.com.